What's up, folks? On this week's weekly news update, I'm going to be talking about insurance difficulties out there, some of the job reports numbers, and also be going over the different age shifts around the world, which is a lot of the demographics that I think drive a lot of our long-term investing. Before we get going into that, I just wanted to just briefly go over what's been happening with I think the big headline this past week was Fitch downgraded the U.S. debt to AA plus, down from the AAA rating that we're all used to. And they cited lack of fiscal discipline and a clear plan for dealing and increasing debt makes. It's a significant move because it's monumental because the U.S. the Fed is such a big part. And I call it more of a bookend, right? Everything is pegged off of the U.S. debt. The markets didn't seem too bothered because, as I've seen this happen before, post-2008, when I was an investor, back then I was investing in mutual funds and stocks. It happened at that time too. I don't think a lot of people remember. Maybe they weren't aware at, in, in, back in 2008. Um, but in the end, the U.S. debt is still the gold standard. And that is what all other debt ratings are pretty much benchmarked. And again, like I mentioned, it's a bookend. Last week, the Fed bumped the rates an additional quarter point, and Powell acknowledged that the full extent of the monetary policy hasn't been felt yet, and there's still strong possibility of another rate increase. I would probably say maybe one, maybe two more. However, he also mentioned the possibility of holding steady, which is a change from the last time. It seems that economic data is beginning to move, and we'll have to keep an eye on employment numbers and CPI reports uh, which I'll cover here in a little bit. Um, all in all, I think this is good for the economy, right? We don't want interest rates going up further, much more, two, three, four, another maybe over 7% plus, because it's better for the economy to keep the recession in 2024 soft. And that's just where I'm coming from. I truly believe that there'll be a recession. I don't really believe the narrative that Powell's putting out there that they're going to save everybody and avoid a, a recession completely. They're, the interest rates got moved up so quickly. And at this point, I think also they're looking for cracks in the economy or things to break, similar how you guys saw with the, the banking crisis. I think that was maybe now two months ago in a rearview mirror. And while Finch's downgrade is noteworthy, it won't have a major impact on Main Street. Other implications, and I detail this in the newsletter. So if you guys want to sign up, make sure you guys go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club, sign up for there, and you get my whole written narrative on this each and every week. But some other implications, Social Security will probably become insolvent in about 10 years. And if there is a recession, I feel very comfortable in workforce housing, and this might be one of the best times to move wealth over from traditional investments that go up and down with the economy to more alternative investments that kind of are rooted in the value and utility that they bring, such as people need a place to live, especially in the lower middle class. Um, interest rates have caused real estate values to decline a little bit, maybe 10 20%. But that's temporary, right? That's just because the buyers aren't here to buy because the interest rates are so high. Nobody can afford the debt service and to pay those monthly payments. But maybe in a year, things will turn back around slowly. But I actually think that it might be pretty quick. Whereas right now, the 
what I keep coming back and a lot of sophisticated investors keep talking about is the whole Warren Buffett quote, which is be fearful when others are greedy and be when others are fearful. Right now, there's a lot of fear in the market and a lot of investors are going with this narrative that they're just going to wait till all these supposedly good deals are coming through. Yeah, they're coming through, but it's going to be really hard to time that bottom. And I would probably just say if valuations came down 10, 20%, now might be the best time to enter and get into projects today. But let's move on here. The first article comes off of that. This is talking about the jobs report. So in July, uh, 187 new jobs were uh, created. And this is down from the previous month where there was about 200000 or about $220,000. They revised that number uh, last month. Um, and this is likely a welcome sign as it's in works to cool the labor market in an effort to tame inflation. Wages, wage gains, however, are likely to signal to Fed officials that additional rate hacks are needed to limit additional inflation pressures. But those are the big things that I would say the big things are the CPI numbers. This is, and this is like the jobs report. And then what are the average incomes? And I think what's so pushing is those high end income earners out there. Uh, who knows what chat GPT is going to do to replace those high income earners, but but by industry, healthcare and social assistance was by far the biggest job creator last month with 87,000 new roles created in that industry. Moving on. So multifamilydive.com reports the apartment industry battles insurance price hikes. Over the past couple of years, multifamily owners and developers have been hit with escalating costs from a whole spectrum of sources, including their contractors, employees, state and local governments and lenders, but very few of those in increases have been as impactful as a sharp rise of insurance premiums in for owners in states like Florida and Texas. And these have been, I would, I've seen this go up maybe threefold in some cases, along with taxes, right? So this is, I think, where a lot of supposedly cash flow has dried up, taken up by insurance and taxes, which I would probably say is it's obviously a huge chunk of your expenses. And when it does double or triple, that's a huge piece of your bottom line. But I do believe it's maybe anywhere from a third to two thirds of your expenses. So if that doubles, that prob that may have taken you over than what you originally thought for expenses. Of course, you try to underwrite conservatively, you have cash reserves. Things jump up in those prices where you don't really have control over. It makes things very difficult. If you guys want some more insight in this, we're going to be doing the quarterly report here in next week. Yeah, next week. So make sure you guys get signed up and you guys will get access to at least part one of that report. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club and join there. It should take you about a minute to complete the form, but we need to know everybody. And if you haven't yet and you're on that list, make sure you reach out to the team at simplepassivecashflow.com and we can get you set up with your personal intro call right there. So you can help you work through some of these issues or we get it. There's a lot of information out there. So I try to make it as simple as easy and more personalized for you guys on those calls. So this is coming from Arbor, which is a big Fannie Freddie lender, one of the bigger ones out there. They're saying that seven things multifamily owners need to know about insurance in 2023. So insurance market is more challenging today. Premiums, like I said, we I've seen it double, triple. Um, 
part of the reasons why is there has been a, quite a bit of catastrophic billion trillion dollar events that have happened in the last several years pushing the indices up um, but also inflation right inflation plays a portion of that too um, i would also mention not, not none of these articles are talking about it with apartment owners investors being a little bit more cash strapped they're going to be a little bit of um, if say something happens right in the property um, most times we don't put in a claim when we when something happens uh, unless it goes over fifty a hundred thousand dollars in damages. Of course, then we'll enact the the insurance policy. But as you guys know, similar to how I think car insurance works, when you put in claims, your your where your risk profile as the insurance um, person insured goes up, and you pay in long higher premiums on the longer run. Of course, it, it, it's attached to the property, right? So once you get rid of the property, you wipe your, your slate clean. So I guess in that way, it's a little bit different than how your car insurance works, where I, I believe that stays with you um, in the long run personally. But I guess what I'm trying to say here is with investors more cash strapped and maybe a claim that comes up that's $50,000 that you may or may not have put in a claim on in the past, now you're going to put that claim in and I think this is going to be starting to see this uh, industry-wide and therefore that only exasperates the amount of claims the insurance providers have to pay. Therefore, they pass that cost down to the customer and therefore I do believe that insurance is has a little bit more room to surge here. Um, don't know how that really compares to paying out the billion, trillion dollar catastrophic events, but I got to imagine that it's a at least a minority or portion of what um, takes up the insurance company's liabilities, right? Paying out claims. So what we've been doing lately is consolidating and working with not only like the brokers, but larger companies that take a look at in the, the portfolio in a whole and are better able to take the numbers on our behalf and write and find more portfolio loans or just underwrite the properties a little bit better to go to those large insurance carriers to get better pricing on that. Um, so it's something we actively work through and it's everybody in the industry are working through this and these challenges. Um, but some of the end with some of the good stuff here, right? You know, at the end of the day, the generation renters, what we call it, this is why I believe multifamily is so promising. You have a lot of pent up households from Generation Z now coming into that age range where there's positive opinions of renting. There's a little bit of a counterculture where, you know, I think the baby boomers and maybe my generation were all into having that white picket fence and that house to call your own. But there's a little bit of murmuring of the younger folks being like, screw that. Why would I want to be tied down? And I'm not necessarily looking at it from my point of view of why would I want to put down a hundred, two hundred thousand dollar payment when I could put that and be making a lot more into real estate investments, whether that's a single family home or a large syndication. But hey, to me, that's I think of it if your net worth is under a million or two million dollars, buying a house to live might be one of the worst things that you can be doing. Of course, if you guys are having we talk sometimes we'll talk about it. I say one out of ten calls that people book with me for their intro call, um, especially if they're a non-accredited investor. That's what we talk about. Those are like the big levers that can negatively impact people. And if they don't do that, it can drastically help them getting on the path to financial freedom. 
Um, but yeah, just as far as buying a house to live in, this is how a lot of institutional investors will look at it. They'll say the average price of a home mortgage is $2,400 a month, whereas our apartments are at $1,400 a month. There's a huge delta in there, $1,000 a month, which not only percentage-wise is a huge chunk, it's almost half, but it's like it's that four-digit number where it's, wow, there's a still a big gap where it still makes so much more sense just to rent from a monthly um, point of view. But that's shifting a little bit more outward. And I think what's driving a lot of this positive traction in America, and maybe you're not seeing this, you're starting to see that trade wind come away from places like Japan, China, where there's supposedly an aging population. Um, I hear eight shifts around the world. Um, if you guys check this out on the YouTube channel, you can see the graph of all the little graph of all the, I would say the the, the more bigger countries and how their population is shifted in terms of the older population and the younger population. Just doing a little scan here, just to narrate what I'm seeing. Italy, for example, has a very high concentration of um, older citizens. Um, that and China, Japan, some people that are opposite of that would be Mongolia would be, have the inverse of that. Um, let me see some of these a lot of the African countries have this type of, that's typically better for economies moving forward. Not everything, right? But in America, which I think most people are interested in, you know, you have a little bit more of a neutral population spread, which I think is a good thing. Um, because I, I think that's what happened to China, right? They had this big, they had this younger population, right? And then they had some government policies and maybe... If you're just, if you knew nothing about Chinese history on the two child policy, one child policy, you would look at this graph and they, it looks like a three, three peak type of age populations. And it's not very smooth at all. You can see how that has influenced the actual data on how old people are in those countries. But something of interest, right? I think this is why I'm bullish on the United States. Not only do we have, we have a very strong law system here. Things are pretty orderly. I'm not saying that will change in the future, but as far as things go, and especially from our where our age distribution is, many people have a very negative viewpoint, especially when you go online and you read these kind of garbage, doom and gloom forms out there. All in all, I, I still think we're of the whole idea is not being the worst or being the best of the worst or being the best of the country. The whole out of all these countries, America's still one of the better ones, right? Everybody talks bad about the Fed and all these things, but where are you relatively speaking, right? When I was an engineer and I got 50% on my my exam, but then learned the average mean was a 45%, now things are looking pretty good, right? So it's all about kind of perspective. And at the end of the day, you want to invest in the best places, right? So you have 50 states out there. If you pick the best five, which I believe are more for the red states, places like Arizona, Texas, Florida, places like that, you're going to do better than most, right? And that's my way. And of course, you diversify. But that's the way I look at data like this. It is America has that ability to, to attract immigrants, and which are typically on the younger side, which produce that workforce that and 
probably what is a lot of powers the workforce housing, right? That lower middle class that comes in. But just something to think about because I think investors nowadays need to be reminded that whatever you invest in should be something not one, two years down the road. So to have that whole idea of I'm going to try and pick the bottom, that's not what sophisticated long-term investors think. Sophisticated long-term investors think what's happening 5, 10, 20 years down the line? What's going to be the headline in 10, 20 years? And whether you pick the bottom or not, there's a probably a bigger chance that you're just going to miss the market entirely. So have that being thought at the end of the day, when just like how some of you guys invest in a lot of the larger companies that offer dividends, there's some underlying value there. And I think that's the narrative with real estate. Every situation is different. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Bye.